This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We have a new champion, a new Grand Slam champion. Her name is Ash Barty of Australia, and it was achieved in the most sensational style from her point of view. It wasn't dramatic, it wasn't uh, extravagant, but it was absolutely brilliant from start to finish. I'm David Law, this is the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, and I'm joined by Catherine Whittaker in Paris. Catherine, how are you doing? Doing good, David, doing good. Not as good as Ash Barty. No. Who, who might I remind you of staying in, in, in the McCule, where I find myself right now? Oh, well, there we go. You, you've been saying all along, <laughs> the McCure is responsible and she is yeah. a, a few million Poached richer. Eggs. Breakfast of champions, literally. Yeah, so it seems so. And we've also got Matt Roberts here. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. It's, it's, it's not the same, is it? We're in three different places, whereas you were sort of crowded around a media cafe table with... Some pretty revolting food in front of you, but great company and uh, and general atmos. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're here we're here virtually on the tennis podcast, and that's a great start. Um, the the final obviously followed the resumption of the men's semi final today, and uh, well, it was our worst fears realised, really, wasn't it? In terms of its start time, um, we had the men coming on court at the appointed time that they'd been given, uh, Novak Djokovic against Dominic Team. Let's take it in that order. Um, although I, I sort of want to talk about the, 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 the achievement of Ash Barty as the central point of the podcast, but it feels like the day started where it did and it ended up influencing that women's final. So I feel like we should we should start there. The, the match itself, it was again played in fairly high winds, um, res- resuming at once at all, 3-1 to team. And then Djokovic came out and he immediately broke serve, Catherine. What what was the condition like out there compared to, say, last night when we were talking? Well, if it hadn't been for what happened yesterday, which was sort of apocalypse-level wind, we'd have been saying, goodness me, today's windy. But actually everyone was saying, oh, the wind's 
winds died down a bit because you know it wasn't a it wasn't a total sandstorm out there but it was still very very windy um but today Djokovic had the eye of the tiger about it he'd obviously sort of hypnotized himself overnight into believing that he could fight through the wind and he just came out absolutely middling it I thought and just looking laser focused absolutely laser focused I mean Dominic team did end up winning that third set but not before being being broken back uh, by Djokovic he took it 7-5 I think in the end and then again the laser focus returned at the start of the fourth and um, it actually turned into more of a sort of cat and mouse type match tactically than I was expecting. I thought it would just be big, beefy, agricultural Dominic team ground strokes versus the the relentless depth and staying power um, of Novak Djokovic. And it wasn't. It was quite a lot of slicing and dicing for Dominic team. I've been a bit sceptical about his slice in the past, but he's been playing it so much that it's a, it is a vastly improved shot. I still think it has a little way to go, but he was drawing Djokovic into the net and, you know, it's tough at the net in windy conditions. And it was, I think, because it started to pay dividends, he sort of stuck with that tactic. And there was a lot more going on, variety and tactics-wise, than I was mm. Actually, I was it's, it's notable that you say that for, for me. I think we were exchanging messages about that particular slice backhand and, and that being an area of concern for him as to whether he needed to really be trying to blast his way through Djokovic or at least playing hev- really heavy tennis. And there was a moment when Djokovic was coming back at him when it just felt like he'd gone into lockdown mode and the only way that team was going to be able to beat that Djokovic was playing Stan Wawrinka 2015 final sort of tennis. Um, he got over the line in that third set, as you say, Catherine Dominic team did. Djokovic then came again. But it, all the way through, Matt, it, it seemed to me it had that feel of unpredictability. Neither one of them was taking the initiative and then running away and, and gaining in confidence from being ahead. They They just kept on lapsing uh, part of that obviously due to the opponent but I, I was surprised at Djokovic in that way that he didn't manage to sustain some of his runs in order to get the job done I was too and he got a bit distracted by a lot of things I think there are kind of three Djokovic's I often think there's kind of peak Djokovic where he's in a mode he's relentless nothing gets in his way and that's the best version of himself and then there's the worst Djokovic where he doesn't He's emotionless, he's flat, he doesn't react to anything. And this today was Djokovic in the middle, which was everything was affecting him. And sometimes that can bring out his really best tennis and sometimes it can go the other way. And I think today it slightly tipped the other way because he came out in lockdown mode, but he lost it and he coughed up some really strange errors at times. But I wanted to say on teams' variety and kind of sort of the slice and the drop shots... I mean, if Nick Kyrgios was watching that match, he would have been smiling because we all heard that interview where he said the way to beat Djokovic is to bring him in and make him uncomfortable. And I'm not sure I quite agree that Kyrgios is some sort of tactical mastermind who's <laughs> who's sort of cracked the code on Djokovic based on a couple of wins he had against him. But team did play a much smarter match than I think he would have done a couple of years ago. And I think I think we did see the, the kind of new team in, well, in well, that match. T- two elements today. to that that, that that immediately spring to mind. One is that on the match point itself, he actually set up the winning shot with a backhand slice cross court, really deep, floated mm. it over, 
and Djokovic was really unable to get anything no, uh, notable on the backhand cross court. And there it was sitting up and team pulled the trigger and he, and he landed and he won the match. I think if you slice well to Djokovic's backhand, he, he struggles to generate a lot of pace on it. I think Federer's had some success doing that, but team doesn't quite have the slice of Federer, but it's, it's good when he hits it well. And as you said, it sets up his massive forehand. And it takes me about nearly 20 years to Queens when Leighton Hewitt was in his absolute pomp and he was he'd, he was the, about to go into Wimbledon and he was winning everything. He'd won the US Open. And I remember Tim Hemmen and Todd Martin having a conversation in the locker room about how how do you beat this guy with an attacking game? Because he's the best returner in the world. He's the best lobber in the world. He's the best mover in the world so so how can a servant volleyer get past him and Todd Martin had had got to the the conclusion the way to do it was with what he called junk we're just trying to give him dolly shots up the middle not really give him much pace make him put all the pace on the board and and he actually got quite close Martin did and then Henman went against him in the final at Queens and he said I thought I'd try it and and he did. He tried this slice and dice game, really not going for anything really at all. And it had sort of marginal success. Um, but ultimately, players with much bigger games and more rounded games like Federer and uh, Leighton Adal and obviously Djokovic now were the ones that were too much for, for Leighton Hewitt back then. But I do find that ad- that adapting of his game for Dominic Team very, very interesting. But the... There was another rain delay, Catherine, and there was actually a pretty massive choke from from Dominic Team. Wasn't he five three up, Matt, at one stage, um, closing in on victory, and then he he lost he lost his serve when he was trying to serve it out. He had two match points, I think, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he had two successive match points at forty fifteen, and just sort of yeah choked basically. He just kept just missed I think four shots in a row to just hand the hand the game to Djokovic he he kept on shaking out his right arm didn't he he was it was very evident you know that his his arm was leaden and he had completely tightened up um but there had been an I mean it'd been he did so well I mean yes that that was a, a moderate mental lapse but most of the mental ups and downs in the, in that match, even in the resumption today, were from Djokovic. You know, there was a he was given a, a time warning for for the time he was taking on serve by the umpire, and he managed to take a deep breath and keep his cool about it at the time. But then several games later, once he had lost that third set, sat down at the uh, at the change of ends and gave the umpire I'm not actually sure who that umpire was I've not I, he looked vaguely familiar but he's not one that I'm I'm not hugely familiar with his back catalogue of work um, <laughs> gave him a right talking to a really sort of you know quite Serena-esque in terms of you know who do you think you are um, you know do, do you have you ever played tennis and I thought actually the umpire had that really well he just said sort of said yes Yes. <laughs> I remember Jim Currier years ago saying, are you just trying to get in the papers? Uh, yeah. This was 20-odd years ago, and, and Djokovic kind of gave him one of those. He said, you just, uh, well done, you've made a name for yourself, or something like that. He did, yeah. Um, heat of the moment, I understand, but it's it's, it's not a not a great look. And it's he not looked very like pleasant. he was right on the edge at that stage, Djokovic, yeah. and he, he, he took to the court for the for the fourth set, and it, I was thinking, you know, sit to pass Vavrinka when we talked about how he seemed 
emotionally right on the edge sits a pass and I thought that was the case for Djokovic and then suddenly he just hunkers down and starts playing just brilliant relentless metronomic um focused tennis again I think right okay he's he's channeled it all brilliantly and and here he goes and then and then the rain comes and then oh good I, I mean I can't even quite remember all of the circus-like events from that fourth and fifth set. It sort of shows the limitations to that metronomic game on a, on a clay court that's not quick, doesn't it? In, the, in as much as a guy with a really destructive game, I mean, I have to say explosive game that you said to me a few weeks ago, Catherine, and, and, and you were right about people like Vavrinka and team and Nadal, people who can just make the ball explode off the surface with, with extra spin, um, can ultimately be too much for a player with, with depth on that surface and, and, and just accuracy. You have to have a bit more on your arm. What, what was it like in the aftermath, Catherine, in the press conference room? Because we've obviously had a lot of chat about what went on with the the calling off of the match last night and the extra play and and a lot of people concerned that Djokovic had applied pressure to to leave and and or he he clearly wanted to leave we saw that uh, when he was on the court he wasn't enjoying it and I've seen it many times where players are you know, trying to get out the door and, and say, isn't it time we stop now? And I think this has got to stop. This is ridiculous. I've heard all these sort of things from players before to referees and supervisors and so forth. What what did Djokovic say when he was questioned about it? And what did teams say? Uh, not an awful lot from either of them. I, I went to both their press conferences um, and also in the intervening period between them, there was a press conference given by Nicholas Massou, Dominic Team's coach. And actually... Being at those press conferences meant that I missed almost all of the women's final and as did, I think, most of the journalists because very understandably um, that was a huge story. Their their reactions to and their explanations of what went on last night was a huge story um, and that, I believe, is a, you know, a, a big talking point in terms of, you know, the not-before-start time of the women's final, which we will get on to. But yes, I was at... All three press conferences, Djokovic's first was probably the most dramatic, not necessarily in terms of what he said. I think if you read a transcript, you'd be pretty underwhelmed by it. He gave a lot of credit to team. He was obviously, obviously gutted, but, you know, relatively philosophical. Um, Wasn't drawn on anything about last night. Just said they were pretty much the worst conditions he'd ever played in. Um said that he and Dominic were both consulted before a play was called off last night and he didn't leave the court, didn't leave the stadium, the 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 site before uh, being told that play had been called off. Every question apart from that, he uh, he gave pretty short shrift and just said... He, he was he, saying, he, ask, ask the organisers, wasn't he? Yeah, ask the organisers. He was cutting questions off before the journalist had even uh, got the words out he was just saying us you know with a with a real look in his eye of I'm not getting into this this is one of the worst moments of my career not getting into that um just just absolutely he wasn't having any of it um mm. which which I think I was expecting um he he marched straight into the press conference room which he usually does after defeat so he was extremely raw um, you know, he wanted this so badly, so badly. It was, he was going for something utterly 
extraordinary here. It would have been extraordinary. Um, and it's going to be a tough one to take. And probably in his mind, um, he lost it due to a number of circumstances outside his control. I mean, whether that's the right interpretation, I think is is uh, up for debate because actually I think a, uh, a lot of the extraneous factors factors did their best to help him out I mean he played better after every single one of the rain delays I think there were three in total over the course of the two days and probably with a, a great deal of assist to to Marion Vider he came out and played so much better after every single one of them so I'm not sure there's too much to rue in terms of circumstance for for Novak Djokovic and I think Odds are he would still have gone on to lose that match if they'd continue playing right into the glorious evening that we had in Paris uh, yesterday. So, mm. I don't know. Dominic Team didn't say much either. He said, look, yeah, we were both consulted. He said, I was all right with it. Um, but then he very quickly moved conversation on to to tomorrow. He didn't want to dwell. He wanted to be forward-looking. He's not got a lot of time to prepare for, for this final tomorrow. And he didn't want no. to spend any of that time dwelling on what happened last night, which you can understand. Yeah, we'll get we'll we'll have a brief preview of that at the end of the show. The the final to come tomorrow, the men's singles final. I should say, by the way, I, I, out of the corner of my, my eye, I've got the doubles final on here, and it is an absolutely packed house on the Suzanne Longlong Court. Fantastic well, there's atmosphere. There's French players with, in it. Isn't that yeah, it's great? Yeah, Jeremy Jeremy Chardy and Fabrice Martin, who is not a player I've seen before, six foot six inches tall. They're a set and uh, down and five all in the second as as I come to you against Kevin Kravietz, who's not a player I think I've seen before, uh, and his partner uh, Andreas. I really don't know how to say this. Mears or Myers, uh, both German, um, and uh, yeah, the crowd are just jumping up and punching the air <laughs> and oh, loving the atmosphere out there. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. As they weren't really in the women's final at the start because, as you said, we had a long delay for rain. And in the end, I think the, the women's final got onto court an hour and 20 minutes after its scheduled start time. And it was just, it was pretty depressing, really. That was that element of the day. And it was, it was kind of pretty much worst case scenario it was what we we feared might happen it was a long men's match it was a great men's match uh, then there was a rain delay and then you've got this stadium just with all the energy sucked out of it and on come to first time grand slam finalists with with a bouquet of flowers each and it just it just didn't feel right it didn't feel how it should feel um it ended with with a great scene in the end because Ash Barty was absolutely sensational today. I mean, she barely put her foot wrong. How much of the, of that match did you see, Matt? What was your take on the actual tennis? Well, I, yeah, I saw it all, and I think it would be fair to say that it was a combination of things that brought about the final scoreline, which was very one sided in Barty's, Barty's favour. And the first one was Andrusheva didn't really have much of a fair chance given that she's 19 years old her first time even setting foot on Chatrier the occasion the uncertainty of the start time I imagine that really did affect her because she did look quite nervous I mean Andre Andre Medvedev said to me in the week you know these players are not robots they do get affected by things and especially when you're 19 and so it was a shame we didn't see the best version of Von Drusheva, but we did see the best version of Ashley Barty, who was superb. I think she, you know, we talked about this being a match of kind of stylish tennis and craft and variety, and she has shown, I think, that she has that in abundance and is better at it than anyone else in the world. It's just such a joy to watch her and... Not only her sliced backhand, which caused Von Drusheva a lot of problems, but her forehand and particularly her footwork, her willingness to hit the forehand, the topspin forehand, is such a weapon on clay. When you also throw in her serve, she must be the best maximizer of a serve I, I can ever think of. Five foot five, but she hits a lot of aces, a lot of power. She's got the kick and once she got a break in each set, she was able to just control things on her serve. Yeah, and and actually, I would say, Catherine, perhaps it's the first player we've seen against Vondrusheva who she just doesn't really have an answer against. I mean, that's six sets out of six in their matches that they've played, and and 
I was watching Pat Cash and Annabelle Croft talk about it in, in your coverage today about how she would just drift this backhand slice time after time after time into this little quadrant of the court in that backhand corner or the forehand corner for, for the left-handed Von Drusheva. And she just she just couldn't deal with it. She did, And she couldn't use her own slice against it when it went onto her backhand side and turn it into the drop shots. None of that stuff worked. Yeah, she's got a brilliant tennis brain, hasn't she? She's just got the perfect tennis brain. I've just seen on Twitter, actually, uh, I wonder if this is what... Uh, what I've seen on Twitter is a reminder that uh, Andy Murray in uh, January... It's actually during the Australian Open of uh, January last year when he'd, of course... Uh, flown out there hoping to play ended up having uh, the first of what's been a couple of surgeries and then flying home he did uh, an ask Andy session because uh, he was up with jet lag back home in London and he was asked uh, by one person which young female tennis player do you think has a brilliant future ahead of her and where would Ash Barty have been ranked uh, in January of last year we can look that up but I think certainly outside the world's top 30 I think and he replied, Ash Barty. Um, and I suspect it's that tennis brain, that tennis yeah. canniness, which is obviously something that, that Andy Murray has as much, if not more than anybody else, um, that I think he sees in her and saw in her then. Um, and that's a heck of a pick. Not that we haven't known about Barty's talent for a long time. You know, she's a, she was a junior Grand Slam champion. But I think to, yeah, and yeah she's winning junior grand slams is a guarantee of absolutely nothing as we've uh, as we've talked about on on recent podcasts see um i don't know ricardis barankis or um Lechiba Khan, these sorts of people, you know. Um, she incidentally, she she had got inside the top, just about inside the top twenty at the start of twenty eighteen. But a year earlier from that, she'd been three hundred in the world because obviously mm. she'd had all that time off. So she'd managed to regroup and get herself back on the circuit and start to move towards it. But in the next year, the next twelve months, she only rose two places. The the jump that has taken place this year has been a real coming of age i think mentally emotionally of and and in terms of that feeling of belonging we always talk about imposter syndrome and i'm sure she's somebody who doesn't have such an inflated view of herself that she just assumed that she belongs at the very top from from day 1 i think that that's something that she's had to to get used to yeah, well, again, courtesy of Twitter from uh, Courtney Nguyen, the uh, WTA insider, can I read you a quote from Ash Barty sure. this time last year? She said, every week on clay is a week closer to grass. <laughs> a year ago. <laughs> That's amazing. Look, I still think grass is her favourite surface, her best surface, which is mind-boggling because that's where she's going to be next week. And uh, you try telling me she's not the favourite for Wimbledon because she's a, she's won Roland Garros and I think she's better on grass she's the most equipped player currently yeah. uh, at the top isn't she yeah, yeah. wow and, and she's it's... and she's the new world number two yeah Osaka and Barty one and two in the world how cool is that who who would possibly have thought that this might happen well Andy well, Murray <laughs> yeah yeah, sure. I can think of somebody else as well. Are we thinking about your 
moment of clairvoyance, David. Oh, yeah. funny Matt. that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I've got to have one moment in seven years where I get something right. <laughs> to be fair, it was brilliant. Hey, we all got a full house yesterday. Oh, we were amazing. Yeah, basically, in, in every day, folks, uh, during the French Open, we send out a, a newsletter every morning. You can get on the list if you want. We'll advertise the link on Twitter. Um, and uh, we, we put our prediction of the day on. And, I mean, honestly, I've I've come up with a... With a I, I went on about a four-day run of getting everyone wrong. Um, but then <laughs> last night, or the day before, we, we made our three predictions. One of them held overnight. I said Von Drusheva in two sets. Uh, Catherine said team in five sets. And Matt said... Nadal in three sets, so we got a full house. So uh, yeah, we are smug, and we're gonna we're not gonna apologise for it. David's um, doubly so smug, though. Come on, out with it, today, David. Yeah. Well, come on. S- saying saying uh, a month ago that Barty is going to win a Grand Slam this year was come on. That was quite good. That, that was, it was a good really prediction. Good. It, it was all, really? one of our collectively. It was one of our all time greats. You see what I'm doing now? I'm trying to take sort of podcast family ownership of that prediction i'm I'm actually not too irritated by it because i'm it's offset by the fact that i'm very happy for ash barty yeah that's kind of the most underhanded (laughs) backhanded compliments of all time i tell you what that that picture of her with the trophy um from when she was a kid in in 2002 so 17 years ago she's 23 she would have been six years old the picture of her stood with her tennis racket clutching a trophy looking like the cutest most edible little thing uh in the world that has just uh, absolutely everybody has tweeted it today apparently she's really not a fan of that photo yeah <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that um, hilarious? Poor but woman. She's gonna she's, have every to time learn she wins, to anyway. be all right with it because it is everywhere, Ash. I wouldn't buy any papers tomorrow if I were you because I think you'll be seeing it a few times. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't know whether... Did you... I think you might have read uh, the Players' Tribune piece with uh, her sisters from maybe a couple of years ago. Um, I read it today uh, just describing what she's like and, and what they're like as a family. And I don't know, it just... It it is a really feel good story, isn't it? Because Australia has has really lapsed this up. I mean, she is so them, isn't she? She they they really can, they really get her. Uh, it's 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 just a lovely story. And I mean, I, I agree with you. I think she could move on from here, and her game is so adaptable. If she can do this on clay, my goodness, it, you know, we might suddenly have a period where. She well, she is. She could be world number one, and and she probably will be in the not too distant future. Um, and she can be a threat. I put it. I won't put it any stronger than that. She can be a threat at every Grand Slam she enters. Hang on, that's really that's really vague to say that the world number two is a threat <laughs> at every Grand Slam she enters. David, that is a redundant comment. Kerber is not a threat at Roland Garros, is she? No. Okay, but you know, m- most of them are. Uh, um, yeah okay i'll give you a free pass because of the the general (laughs) the general brilliance of your barty predictions but thank you 
You've ended on a bum note there, David. We've just had the most wonderful scene on on court Suzanne Longlong with the German pair, um, Kravietz and Mays, actually hitting a winning volley away and both falling simultaneously flat on their backs uh, as they've just won the doubles title. It's it's a bit of a a balloon popper for the stadium because the French pair of uh, Shardy and Martin haven't won. But anyway, a, a lovely scene. I mean, these guys, one of them's ranked 230 in the world. You know, these are not household names who've just won the doubles title. But brilliant story, Kravitz and Mize. I'm going to have to go and look them up a little bit more because I don't know too much about them. Uh, The the men's singles final tomorrow. Dominic Team, he was beaten in straight sets by Rafael Nadal last year. Are Are we going to get a closer singles final tomorrow? Catherine, go. I think it's going to be uh, an I'm getting closer moment and I think he's going to get a set and I think it's going to be competitive for a little while and he's going to get closer, um, but he's not going to get there. Team, that is. Nadal is going to get there. 12th Grand Slam singles title at Roland Garros for Rafael Nadal is the prediction of Catherine Whittaker. What about you, Matt? I agree. I think... Nadal in four. I, I was looking, team has never got more than four games in a set against Nadal at Roland Garros. I think they've played nine sets, but I do think he's a much better player now. But I think Nadal will be too strong. And, and if he gets to 12, that that would put him, his Roland Garros titles alone would be joint fifth on the all-time list. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he'll have won as many Roland Garros titles as Roy Emerson won Grand Slam titles. Won't yeah, he? and then the only people ahead of him would be Pete Sampras fourteen, Djokovic fifteen, and then te- and then Nadal. Kind of, we're not really <laughs> counting him. So then Federer, so fourth. I mean, it's a joke. Oh dear, how on earth is this happening? <laughs> right, okay. Is there anything else we've missed? I think we're done for the night. Uh, we're going to come back to the men's Only to say that final. I probably would. I, I do. Th- you know, it's a shame that Dominic Tien. It would have been the same with Djokovic. Of course, it's a shame that he's not got a day of rest the way Nadal has going into the final. I really think that's a massive shame, and it is going to make it less of a final. Um, so maybe they've, they've they've got to. I I, w- I really hope they take stock of this fortnight. I know that they have had weather issues; it's been rough. And if they get a roof next year, they will certainly benefit from it. But I don't want that to just be the answer to all their problems in their minds. I feel that they need to look at this schedule and and think it through and and actually. Be prepared to be self-critical because that that's how improvements are made is you've got to sometimes accept when you when you've got it wrong and they've got a number of things wrong this this fortnight and 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 that's certainly one of them yeah I'll mm. say yeah it, it feels like they're sort of burying their head in the sand and going but we're gonna have a roof next year it's all gonna be fine well you still have to make a lot of scheduling decisions with a roof and they yeah. they've made so many howlers this year honestly it's been it's been a shocker. It's been an absolute from shocker. The, from the point of view of the women's um, tournament, you, you have to care about those inequalities in order to change them. Yeah. And, and they need to have that self-examination and acceptance that, 
yeah, they need to maybe do something differently. Uh, I accept that once you've made the decision, you've got yourself into into a tricky position the way they had, and then the weather works against them. It becomes very difficult to get yourself out of it. But don't just say, "Oh, well, it's not our fault." You know, there's just the the, the circumstances. Go away and self reflect. Is yeah, is my is my and, and hope. just just quickly on 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 that point because I've had a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, you know, the players don't mind. They seem really relaxed." You know. It is about the players to to a small degree. I do think it, as Matt pointed out very well, I do think it probably was very difficult for them today. But this isn't really in the wider scheme of things about the players. Just as a small example, you know, we'd prepared a, a, a half hour show, a half hour running order, building up to the women's final, entirely dedicated to the women's final with VT content, with with uh, you know interviews with both finalists to sort of give a bit of background on them because obviously for the casual tennis viewer they're not what very well known you know giving it the proper big up the proper platform that it deserved and due to how things panned out today about 50% of that got canned and fell by the wayside mm. and has just has never been seen and that's yeah. not right. Terrible shame. It's not right. That's yeah, a real shame. Okay, Catherine, uh, you go and rest up. You've got one more day of the French Open to go. Matt, lovely to have you with us, as always, on the Tennis Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed uh, this, our penultimate one of the fortnight. We'll be back again tomorrow after the men's singles final. We'll bring you any other results of note that have taken place as well. Um, we are executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot is Rio with the Y. We've produced an association with The Telegraph, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you then. 